Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I have zero respect for you. You are a liability. I by no means wants to be anywhere near you. That's fine. Okay. That's fine. You can leave. Um, so I am trying to figure this all out. Like, there's no justification. There's no rationale. There's no reasons beyond anything. Do me and Jamal, a pastor, have an image to protect? 100%. So hanging around someone who decides to fight women on national television, is that a good look? No. Hello and welcome to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, or we're going to be talking about The Real Houses of Potomac today and after the short Potomac recap. And that's right, it's going to be a little shorter than normal because as you guys might be able to tell, I might sound a little crazy because I have some numbing cream in my mouth due to a, an issue with my filling, which is probably TMI, but uh, you know what? Here we are. Uh, and so it's, I'm going to keep it short, but then I have a special thing for you guys after the Potomac chat. I'm going to play one of the episodes from the Everything Iconic Patreon. So a lot of people ask me, what is the Patreon page? Well, the Patreon place is a way that you can support this podcast. You go to patreon.com slash everything iconic. And if you click become a patron, you could donate $4 or more per month and you get access to the bonus episodes. So I just do one bonus episode a month and I'm currently recapping Sex and the City from the beginning. So there's three recaps up there. I'm going to play after the Potomac chat. I'm going to play the first Sex and the City recap, which is episode one, season one. You can watch it on HBO Max or if you got the DVDs, however you want to watch it. I'm going to play that recap, which is from the Patreon. And just to give you guys a little taste of what the Patreon is, if you like it and you want to support the show, go do it. If not, I get it. You know, times are tough, right? Times are tough right now, especially now this weekend's been crazy, hasn't it? Have we all been glued to the news? I don't mean to laugh, but I've been glued to the television, my Twitter. I feel like I'm just constantly looking at the news. Um, But so I'll play that, uh, that episode. And then if you want more of those, you can get them at the Patreon page. So... Um, let's talk about Potomac, you guys. Uh, it opens with Candace and Monique friendship montage. Okay, so we see this whole montage of their uh, relationship. And of course, they had that fight last week. And we see a lot of Candace saying, drag me, Monique, drag me, Monique. And look, I told you guys last week that I was on Team Candace, even though up until this point, I've been on Team Monique. But now I'm rethinking everything and I'm watching this show. And I will say, I do not condone any sort of violence, right? That's certainly the case. But Candace did consistently say, drag me. And so I know Monique tweeted it out, and they were all confronting Monique about her tweet where she said, ask and you shall receive. And I got to be honest, she did ask and she did receive. So there you go. I mean, I again, I don't condone violence, but she did say, drag me a whole lot of times. A whole lot of times. And that is asking for it technically. I mean, come on. Come on. <laughs> we open. We open the episode five days after the wine bar fight. 
So Candace, they're making it all very dramatic, right? Candace is at home putting plates away. There's very ominous music. I feel like I'm watching a horror movie or something. Candace says she still has trauma from the fight. She's still in shock. And really all she's doing as she's saying this is she's watching, washing the table. She's putting dishes away. And it was so funny to me that Bravo was trying to make her housework very dramatic. <laughs> she was just putting dishes away. That's what she's doing, putting dishes away. And it was like the music was like, Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so dramatic. I was like, these editors were really playing around with that. I don't even think that footage was shot probably five days after the fight. I feel like that footage could have been shot, who knows when, last weekend for all we know. But they were like, we need some footage. And so they were like, Candy, uh, Candace, we should call her Candy. Candy, we're going to, um, we're going to film you doing some housework. Can we come over? And they filmed her just putting dishes away. And then they made it dramatic. And then over at Monique's house, it was also dramatic music, and they kept showing, they showed, like, her family, and then there was this one really dramatic shot, you guys, of T'Challa, and it made me laugh. They just did a close-up of T'Challa, like, listening about the fight between her and Candace. And I'm thinking, like, we need a subtitle, we need something that lets us know what T'Challa's thoughts are, because we heard the family, we heard from Chris, we heard from the kids. I want to know what T'Challa thinks. Uh, then we see all the other women, they're at home. I gotta say, I'm standing Wendy, you guys. I'm really into Wendy. I know I've mentioned that on the show before. And it's gonna be very hard for me when Wendy and Karen are feuding. It seems like they have some fight coming up. And I'm very nervous about it because you know I love my Queen Icon legend, Karen Huger, but I'm starting to really fall in love with this Wendy, Dr. Wendy, if you will. And I don't know, you guys, it's gonna be tough the upcoming weeks. Woo! We're gonna be going through it because I love me some Karen, but this Wendy, you guys, I feel like she's a great addition. Um, and meanwhile, Robin, she's at home. She doesn't think Monique gets it. She doesn't believe Monique gets it. Giselle, she's not on Monique's side either. Uh, Karen, meanwhile, she's at home. She calls Candace. She calls our candy. And she says uh, that she's going to have the other women over to her house. They're going to have a sit down so that Monique can explain herself. But Candy's not invited. Candace is not invited. Candace says, I'm not sure why you're extending so much grace. And Karen says, I am grace under fire. And in that moment, ladies and gentlemen, I thought, Karen Huger needs a sitcom. We need to get her on TV like Brett Butler in the 90s. Let's reboot Grace Under Fire with Karen Huger. Let's do it. That's a show. They're rebooting everything these days for Netflix, for Hulu. We got Cobra Kai entering its third or fourth season at this point. So we can certainly get a Grace Under Fire reboot with Karen Huger. Throw the bird in there. I don't know. I didn't watch that show, but I do remember Brett Butler. That's the name. That's the name I remember. I don't know what happened to Brett Butler. I think she was on something really good, actually. She appeared in something. I remember being like, oh, she was it Morning Show? Was she in Morning Show? I think I'm remembering that. I'm going to pretend she's in Morning Show with Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon. I think she played one of their mothers. Neither here nor there. I don't need to be corrected. I'm just assuming she was in Morning Show, quite frankly. And uh, yeah, so she's still around. She's still kicking and I'm proud of her. But I would still like a Grace Under Fire reboot. Maybe Karen could play, like, I don't know, Grace's uh, half-cousin, or I don't know. We I, I could figure out the details later, but I would like that to happen. Um, so then everyone goes over to Karen's house. Robin arrives first. Giselle comes with security, you guys. <sighs> security. It's good TV. I'll say that, but did we all roll our eyes? I certainly did. She brought security to Karen's house. You have a whole production crew. Do you really need security? Were you really thinking that Monique was going to... I don't know. It was good TV, though. Giselle knows what she's doing when it comes to producing. 
Uh, meanwhile, Ashley brought baby Dean and didn't even give a fuck. She was just like, you know what? I don't need, uh, I don't need security. I'm bringing my baby, my baby. By the way, I loved Ashley. I know this is a little inappropriate, but Ashley was really loving that Monique drugged Candace. She was liking it. You could see it in her face the entire episode. She loved it because she hates Candace. And she was just like really trying. She knew. Ashley, here's the thing. She knew that on camera she had to at least look concerned and upset about Monique's actions. A couple times she did stick up for Monique. But you know in her head she was thinking, okay, I can't just completely blindly stick up for Monique. But she did love it. She loved it. You could see it in her eyes. There's no way you can hide that. The pleasure that Ashley had that Monique drug Candace is uh, pure. It's pure. So Dean, baby Dean was also very cute, you guys. So cute. Bebe Dean. Uh, then they talk about Monique's tweet about the ask and ye shall receive. Wendy arrives. And it was so great. Wendy said, this should be a safe space and a brave space. I love her. Safe space and a brave space. And I'm using that line from now on. When I invite people over, I'm going to invite just a bunch of messy friends over when we can. Uh, and I'm just people who are feuding, people who don't like each other. I'm going to invite them over for a dinner party. And I'm going to say, this is a safe space and a brave space. And that's, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm using, I'm putting it on a pillow <laughs> t-shirt. We should sell t-shirts that say something like that. If you want an Everything Iconic t-shirt, guys, go to everythingiconic.store. How gross of me to promo that in the middle of this podcast recap. But you know what? You got to keep the lights on. <laughs> got to do it. Um, oh, then they talk about the blogs. Apparently, it, this Monique Candace situation was in the blogs already, two days after or something. And Karen says, what are you guys talking about? She says, can you share what this blog situation is? She says, I'm not a blogger. I'm not a social media wizard, Karen. <laughs> and I love that, Karen. She's not a social media wizard. That was her exact word. And who among us is? Who among us is? Although this weekend, I mentioned I've been online following the news all, all weekend. I feel like I'm a social media wizard. I've been following everything. And I need to stop. I had CNN on, too. And I was like, I need to turn this off. This is not healthy for me. I need to watch. I started watching that Emily in Paris, you guys. Did you watch that? Ooh, what a show. First of all, we're, we're going to take a little Emily in Paris detour, okay? This was not planned. Um, but I need to get some things off my chest. If you haven't seen this on Netflix, it's about a woman who goes to Paris, this American woman, she goes to, moves to Paris from Chicago. Okay, she's got a job with Kate Walsh in Chicago, and then she decides to move to Paris. And first and foremost, they did film in Chicago, which I liked. You know, I lived in Chicago before I moved to LA, I lived there. I'm from Ohio, I'm Midwest, my heart is in the Midwest. And the entire first episode of this Netflix show, the things that they say about the Midwest people I mean, I was like offended, and I'm not easily offended, you guys. I, you know, call me whatever you want, but I was definitely offended for the Midwest, and I was like shouting at the screen because every other line of dialogue was like, the people in Chicago and the Midwest are fat, and, and they said they were boring, and it was like all these jokes that weren't even funny. And then there was a joke about deep dish pizza, and it was so fucking disgusting. And she's like, oh, you must have had Lou Malnati's. I was like, fuck you, Emily in Paris. Like, I was so mad at this woman. And it's Lily Collins, and I like her. She was good. She's good. She's cute, beautiful, great actress. Uh, but I was pissed about some of the lines of dialogue about the Midwest. Okay, number one. Then number two, she moves to Paris. She doesn't even or moves to France. Doesn't even decide to learn the language. Okay, doesn't even decide to learn the language. She, she could have got a Rosetta Stone. Why didn't she get a Rosetta Stone? 
the whole time, why did they even give her a job there? She goes over to do some marketing stuff for the company didn't without even knowing the language. Why would a company send a woman like that over to another country when they don't know the language? They should at least say like, oh, we'll send you Emily in like a, two months when you learn enough of the language via Rosetta Stone and or, or taking a, I don't know, YMCA class in Chicago to learn the language. Then we'll send you over to Paris. Nope, that's not what happened. They were just like, go ahead. Bye. Bye-bye. So she gets to Paris. Then she doesn't even have any followers. She's in marketing. She doesn't have any social media followers, but she decides to take some photos of herself with like a bread basket or I don't know what the fuck, a flower. And suddenly she starts getting thousands of followers. And we see on the screen her follower accounts going up. The hearts on the screen show us that she's getting lots of likes on these basic-ass photos. And I'm sorry, I'm sick of this. Every TV show movie, they act like going viral is so fucking easy, and it's not. It is difficult to go viral. It's not something that just happens when you post a picture of a baguette. It's not. So Emily, here she is posting these baguettes and the most basic of photos. Not even well-lit. Like, I was... I was legitimately thinking I, I was offended for the basics on Instagram. The women, you know, I, we, all, we all follow some of those accounts, don't we? Some of those really basic white women who just post a lot of nonsense and like their heels in the city or whatever, you know, the, the Kristen Takeman kind of thing. You know, God bless Kristen Takeman from the Real Houses of New York. But you guys would know what I'm saying. She posts a lot of photos where it's just like me in the city, you know, and they're really basic. But I was even getting offended for people like Kristen Takeman because I was like, at least their photos are like well lit, well done. Here comes this Emily in fucking Paris posting her photo with the baguette. Not even well lit, not set up right. I mean, and then she's getting hundreds and thousands of likes and followers. I was so fucking pissed at this Emily in Paris. Gosh, I was pissed at her. Get out of Paris. That's what I would have told her if I was one of those Parisians. So mad watching it. Ooh, I was stewing. Um, that said, I watched every episode and I recommend it. There's a lot of hot guys. <laughs> There's a hot chef guy that I'm uh, newly in love with. Um, but terrible show that you'll love every every episode. It's like one of those good hate binges. I hope no one that's listening to this podcast worked on it. I'd feel bad. Um, but just know that you hooked me. Um, but I was upset. There's great fashions. There's great fashions, and I feel like I need to say some good things about it. There's some great fashions in it. Hot guys, great fashions. It's good escapism. It definitely feels like something that was made in 2008, 2007. Um, and in some ways, that's good, because right now we need the escape. There's too much going on in the world. So, you know, I, I just, did I have some problems with the writing? Sure. Did I watch every last fucking second of that show? Of course. Of course I did. That's who I am. Um, oh, and uh, speaking of things that I'm watching and not watching, I know I mentioned on the podcast that I'm not sure about what I'm going to cover coming up. And I've decided that, breaking news, uh, I, this might upset some people, I apologize, we're not going to be covering Southern Charm on the podcast. I might uh, you know, mention something a time or two, but we're not going to be recapping Southern Charm on the podcast. So I hate to disappoint, I'm sorry, uh, we won't be talking about the Bapadus. Uh, I did get a chance to see the premiere, and once you guys see it all, we'll, we'll discuss why I decided not to do uh, do the recaps of it. But uh, we are going to be covering The Real Housewives of Orange County. So good news, bad news. We got to cover something on this show, right? We got to recap something. So we're going to add Orange County to the rotation, which also might upset some people. If you don't want to watch Orange County, the episodes, don't watch it. Just listen to the recaps. Uh, but we will not be doing Southern Charm. And then we will be doing Salt Lake City. So we're going to stick to Housewives. 
Stick to housewives. Okay, where were we? Where were we at? Okay, let me look at my notes here. Potomac. Karen's not a social media wizard. Oh, they think someone from Monique's camp leaked the information about the argument. And interesting, interesting. I I'm interested in this. Interesting. Ashley did stick up for Monique before she arrived. Before she arrived. Meanwhile, Candace is at her therapist, Doctor Ken Ballard, and. We saw a little clip of Dorothy. That's where Dorothy and Candace used to go to this doctor. And I want to know what Dorothy thinks of all this. And it seems like in the mid-season trailer, we're going to get that information. But I need to know. I need to know. And Candace is very much acting the victim in this. And I'm not saying she's not the victim. I truly, every five minutes, I think to myself, I'm like, am I team Candace or team Monique? I don't condone the violence. But then also, there was confusion about the class. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, you guys. And by the end of the season, I'll let you know. I'm not sure I hate to be riding the fence, but, um, you know, we, that's what we do here. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that's what we're doing. By the end of the season, we'll figure it out. Okay, so then, back at Karen's, Giselle's sitting there. She's like, what time is Monique coming? Because I have things to do. I'm thinking, Giselle, this is your job. Like, you're on a reality show. You should sit and film until they say, that's a wrap on Giselle. <laughs> what she's saying, she's got things to do. But Monique arrives. She's so cheerful. And then immediately she she tries to get a tear out. She did try, and I think she did eventually. But I always love when these women, they try to push out the tear, and then sometimes it comes, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it comes, and sometimes it doesn't. When Candace was in the therapy's office, she was, therapist's office, she was dabbing her tears away with the corner of her eye like she always does, folding up that fucking tissue. <laughs> like, a, like an origami she was doing for her eye sockets. Um, but Monique, she was cheerful, then started to cry. And Monique said, this could happen to any of us. And they were like, um, wait a minute, that's not true. And Giselle said, let me take notes. Whew, she said, let me take notes. She started taking notes. Nate, taking notes, Giselle did. And they're filming it, too. It's like, we got the notes from the camera crew. Um, but Monique was like, okay, well, we could all be on our high horse. And I was enjoying this dramatic tension between the two of them. And then Monique said, the glass was in my face first, but then Robin is sitting there, and she's like, uh, you almost had me. That's not true. She said, you did it first, you reacted first, and then you leaked it to the blogs. So, you guys, I'm a little confused. I, I know people have posted, like, frame by frame what happened online, but I, I still get a little confused about it. I don't know. I don't know who did what first. I do know that Monique should have let go. I mean, she was holding on to that head, and that wasn't that was the thing that most was problematic to me. Because I understand when you like they say seeing red. I get it, you get so upset. But at a certain point when you have all those people around saying, let go, let go, let go, and trying to pull you away, you have to let go. So I get like having just a momentary outburst, like a quick thing. And Monique kept saying the adrenaline was gone. Adrenaline was gone. I don't know. I don't know, you guys. It shouldn't have lasted that long. It shouldn't have lasted. Ashley again stuck up for Monique and said, I was not there. And she doesn't feel scared of Monique. Then Giselle stuck up uh, and said, let me look up, look at my notes. And um, they show. Uh, Giselle says, you've had a history of this. You said you wanted to kill me or punch me or whatever. And then the brilliant, beautiful Bravo editors, they show footage of Monique saying she's going to punch Giselle. They show that umbrella incident. They show her threatening to drag Candace. 
And as Giselle's talking about this stuff, Monique is like, okay, let me take notes so I can address you too. And that made made me laugh. Um, So Giselle said that the kids told her not to be around Monique. And look, Giselle said in her confessional, as someone who's dating this pastor, Jamal, it's not a good look for her. And I'm thinking, not a good look for you, Giselle. I had a real problem with that because of all the things that Jamal has done, of all the things that this Jamal has done, and now you're worried about your image, Giselle. And I get that you'd be worried about your image, but this it shouldn't be because of this Jamal. I mean, the things that this man has done and said publicly. I saw this these clip of, <clears throat> excuse me, I saw this clip of Jamal, I don't know if it was 2015 or 12 or something, saying he was opposing gay marriage. No, you guys can look it up. I'm not here. I'm not Google. <laughs> that should be the tagline of my podcast. Everything iconic with Danny Pellegrino. I'm not Google. Anyway. Um, anyway, Giselle and then eventually leaves with the, the bodyguard. And they all sort of make up. Karen says she's proud of Monique, but Monique isn't willing to apologize, right? They're, so Robin and particularly Wendy, they were getting mad because uh, Monique was saying she doesn't feel, she doesn't know what she feels, basically. She said, there's still adrenaline running through me. And I did appreciate the fact that she wasn't just apologizing to apologize, because I do think it's important to feel your apology before you apologize. Does that make sense? I get it. We all can do things that we've, we've done wrong, but sometimes you don't realize it until a week, two weeks later, and then all of a sudden you go, oh, shit, I, I screwed up. I screwed up and I need to apologize. But you might it might take a little while, and I hope Monique came to that conclusion sooner rather than later. But Wendy says it's a selfful, uh, a selfish reaction, because Monique said she's not remorseful, just embarrassed. And Wendy's right, too, by the way. It is selfish, but Monique didn't feel that way, so I'm glad she just didn't throw out some apology if she if she didn't get it yet. I don't know. Um, then, uh, anything else? Oh, it was really... Monique grabbed the baby. When Monique grabbed uh, baby Dean for the sympathy for the camera, you guys, that was a politician move. I forget who called it out, but it definitely was, like, let me be on camera with this little baby. <laughs> And you all feel bad for me. It was like so transparent. So bad. Um, then uh, Karen makes them all eat. Karen's like, look, I got you all food. And you always leave without eating it. So, you guys, that was the episode. We got the mid-season trailer, which looks great. The women go to Portugal. There's a lot of animal work happening. And it looks fantastic. I am so excited. There's a fight, too, between the Chris and the... Um, I forget. the uh, Chris and Michael, they fight, too. Oh, this season is good. It is fantastic. If you're not watching, you need to be watching it. If you're listening to this podcast, you should probably already be watching it. But um, if for some reason you're not, you need to tune in. It's fantastic. Best show on Bravo. Anyway, you guys, uh, I'm going to leave you with this episode from the Patreon. It's one of the bonus episodes. Again, it's a recap. Season one, episode one of Sex in the City, which you can watch on HBO Max. And this was recorded a couple months ago. So Please enjoy, but just know I'm I'm giving it to you guys unedited, unfiltered from a couple months ago, um, just as a taste of the Everything Iconic Patreon, and maybe you'll decide you want to go over to patreon.com slash everythingiconic and uh, get the bonus episode. I'm going to be putting out the next one, I believe it's episode four, um, as soon as possible, as soon as possible, but I do one a month. And more importantly, that money just helps to support the show. So thank you, thank you. I love you all. I will leave you with this. uh, And have a good week. And everyone take some time to relax a little bit. I know there's so much going on. 
but try to find some ways. This is a reminder to myself, too, to maybe turn off the news for a second and turn on something mindless that makes you feel a little bit uh, more relaxed. Because we all need to, we all need to unwind. We need to regroup, refocus, rejuvenate, renew. Uh, and we need some endorphins and some serotonin running through our body so that we can get through the next month, the rest of the year, the rest of this pandemic, all of it. So uh, I'm sending all the love your way, and uh, I hope you guys enjoy this uh, bonus episode. Okay, bye-bye. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate, because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website, because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like, I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process, and if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Welcome to an Everything Iconic Patreon bonus. I'm Danny Pellegrino, and today we're going to be doing something a little bit different. So I, on the main podcast, had talked about Sex in the City. I've talked about it multiples of times, and, uh, you know, I usually talk about the movies, but the series is near and dear to my heart, but I haven't watched it in years, especially from the beginning. Usually I'll dive back in and watch like a random episode, or if I see it on TV or something like that, I'll, I'll watch it. Uh, but a lot of people had messaged me saying that I should recap or try to recap Sex and the City. Uh, so I rewatched the first episode. And so today we're going to just be talking about the very first episode of Sex and the City, which you can watch if you have HBO Max or HBO. I, there's so many fucking HBO apps now. HBO Go or Max or I don't know what the fuck it's called, but you can watch them. Uh, all there. Also, I feel like most people either have the DVDs or, you know, you've seen it, but. It was so weird to dive back in the pilot, and I know it's not Housewives, so forgive me. I hope no one's too disappointed that we're not going to be recapping Housewives on this week's or this month's bonus episode. Um, but this just felt important. It felt like important work uh, that I was called to do, and boy, it was really fun. And so I got to say, just off the bat, to give you guys a little uh, background of my Sex and the City knowledge. When I moved to Los Angeles, that was the first time I'd really watched it, and I borrowed my friend Michael's DVDs, and I like binged them all. This was like before really, it was like around before streaming. I don't know. It was like 10 years ago. So, um, you know, you guys do the math. But um, I had borrowed my friend Michael's DVDs, 
And I always wanted to watch it, and I was aware of the show, but being like a closeted kid in Ohio and then later Chicago, I uh, just never felt comfortable diving in um, until I finally came out of the closet. And then uh, maybe some of you listening can um, can empathize, but uh, when you come out of the closet, it's like you catch up on all the gay things, right? And like your gay friends and people will tell you, you got to watch this, you got to watch that, you got to watch... Uh, Sex in the City or Will and Grace or uh, Angels in America or whatever it is. There's so many different uh, little pockets of pop culture that are like musts for gay men. And usually they're starring women uh, because there's not a whole lot of entertainment that was made uh, about gay characters, uh, particularly back then. So uh, we have to watch ourselves on screen through the lens of women. And it's interesting. Sex in the City was created by Michael Patrick King who later went on to create the comeback with Lisa Kudrow, which is my all-time favorite thing ever. Uh, But he created Sex and the City, and it's very clear that there are uh, not just female archetypes, but there's a lot of, like, gay sensibilities in these women, uh, particularly with sort of, like, the... um, the attitude towards sex. And I think men, gay men and women alike really relate to the, particularly for women on screen. And so I think that's why it kind of just has taken off for women and gay men, but it's become sort of the part of the fabric of, of uh, what gay men and women talk about with each other. Right. And it's interesting watching it now because attitudes have changed so much about how women are portrayed on screen And I was thinking about that and thinking about, like, could you do a show today where the whole thing is these four women talking about sex? And early on, the show started as something different. So there were more male uh, main characters on the show. But it seems to me that for a while, television and film kind of got away from the idea that women, their whole personality or the whole uh, theme of their shows or their movies are about landing a man. And what I think is maybe happening, or I'm sort of hopeful that it's happening. Of course, I want women portrayed in every different light and in a hundred, three dimensions, right? On screen. But I think we've gotten so far away from it that I miss seeing characters on screen who are interested in finding love, whether it be with a man or a woman. And I think it's okay to show that as long as we also have entertainment that's showing us the other sides of, of women and, and men too. But uh, there was like a rom-com boom in the early 2000s. And I feel like that really ruined, uh, there were so many bad rom-coms, a lot of which I liked, but uh, there were a lot of bad rom-coms that were just about landing a man. It was like Catherine Heigl's trying to land a man. And uh, we just got away from that because it was insulting to women, particularly when we're not seeing other uh, sides of Katherine Heigl on screen, for instance. So um, I don't know if that's making sense. Does that make sense? I feel like it makes sense. Uh, It's okay, though. I think that we should have some romance stuff and, and see men and women whose primary goal is to find love. Because I know people like that in my real life. That's people are like that. And I think it's okay as long as we also see the other sides of people. So that, um, yeah, that's, is that's like super deep a little bit. Maybe it's not, I don't know. Um, anyway, I got to say the first episode is called just sex in the city. That's the name of the episode. Now I've mentioned before my all time favorite episode is called the agony and the ecstasy. And it's the 
episode where Carrie turns 35 and she's like, I'm 35. And Samantha says to her at the diner, like, shut the fuck up. I'm 140 or something like that. Um, and it's also where that iconic speech comes from, uh, from Charlotte, where she tells Carrie, um, maybe we could be each other's soulmates. And I always thought that was like the heart of the show is that these women were each other's soulmates. And uh, unfortunately, like the show and the franchise really got away from that idea, especially towards the end, that second movie, which I will watch when it's on E. Like, will I stop and put it on? Of course, and I'll watch it till the very end. But it's not a good movie. Um, And it is very, I watched it recently because I was like defending it for a while. I was like, it's good. Uh, And then I put it on and watched it. And it's not good at all. Spoiler alert. But it's something that I will watch when it's on. And it has little moments that are are great. Uh, But the show really is about these four women who are each other's soulmates. And again, that's another theme that I think uh, gay men and women really uh, latch on to. Uh, It was interesting at this time because Sex and the City really took off. And then HBO started developing like what was later coined like the uh, antithesis of Sex and the City, which was Entourage. And Entourage was about these four young straight men who uh, really about their like romantic quests, which really were just about like sexing, you know, girls. And it was really misogynistic. Uh, Another show that I watched every single episode of. So, you know, jokes on me. Um, But it's interesting. I was just talking to a friend. The uh, um, Entourage has a podcast where the cast is recapping every episode. So the guy, the creator of the show, I believe his name is Doug Allen, Kevin Connolly, who played E, and uh, Kevin Dillon, who played Drama. They're uh, recapping the whole series. And I listened to an episode because I was thinking, they're going to go back and watch this show, which Sex and the City was considered problematic. Uh, rewatching it now, I was like, I can't imagine what rewatching Entourage is like. And so I listened to the podcast where they recap it and it's, uh, it's interesting. And it was, it was funny to hear them talk around certain things. And I don't know. That's a little tangent, a little Entourage tangent. Uh, but yeah, it was created as sort of the antithesis of Sex in the City. And I don't know. I miss that. I miss this genre of show. I miss just people talking about sex and relationships. Again, I just, there was a show called looking, which was sort of the gay version of it. It was much slower paced, but I did really enjoy it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely like a, a genre in and of itself that I miss that I hope we get back to or get another one insecure. uh, The show on HBO insecure has shades of it. And I'm obsessed with insecure. If you've never watched it, the most recent season, brilliant, fantastic, uh, phenomenal, all of the a- adjectives. Um, anyway, we got to talk about the show. So Sex in the City, the first episode was very different than what we know as Sex in the City. Now they were looking at the camera like Jim from the fucking office. Like every time Carrie would say something, she would just look to the camera and I was like, am I watching The Office or am I watching uh, Carrie and the gang? Because she kept looking at the camera and everyone was... Uh, they were doing sort of reality show confessionals, and there were all these strange men on the show. Sex in the City, you guys, not to judge people on looks. I don't like to judge women on looks at all, but I will judge the straight men on Sex in the City based off their looks, and they're not a good-looking bunch. They never were. <laughs> I always had to laugh. It was like on Sex in the City when they would be like, that guy is so hot. It was like, no, he's not at all. 
Um, Big was attractive, although Big had highlights in this in this first episode. Big is in the first episode, and I swear it looked like he had highlights. Like boy band sort of, uh, they put brown highlights in his dark black hair, and I don't know what that decision was, but it was certainly a choice. And uh, yeah, that was surprising. But the other men in the show, it's like they just always casted ugly men. I'm, Aiden was cute later on. But I don't think any of the men were like so hot at all. And Carrie and her friends would always be like, oh my God, he's so attractive. I'm like, and he's not though. He's not. No offense. Um, but we open on this little montage of this woman named Elizabeth and a guy named Tim. And so Carrie's doing the voiceover. We see the computer screen that like the, the words on the computer screen we see right when they open. And she's telling the story of once upon a time, an English journalist came to New York. She hooked up with the most eligible bachelor who was an investment baker and a banker and they fell in love. And then, um, he ghosts her. So this man, Tim just ghosts Elizabeth. Uh, and it's basically revealed that men are trash. So that's the really overarching theme of the show is that men are trash. And I agree with that. And I think that actually holds up in the year 2020. I think out of all the things in the show, that thesis statement at the beginning of this episode really holds up. Um, but so Tim ghosts Elizabeth, and then we see Elizabeth with Carrie. Carrie's got the dark brown hair, curly hair. Looks very different than what I remember. I don't remember her having this dark of brown hair early on. I remember she had that one season, I think, where it was really short and dark. Uh, but she's smoking a cig, and there's a lot of cig smoking in this, and that was a, that was a time. I don't recall that happening any time recently. In fact, I'm, I have a script that I wrote that uh, it's, I'm working with some producers and people on it, and uh, they made me take out someone smoking a cigarette. And I thought, that's good to not show people smoking, but also, I go back and forth with it, because I'm like, well, I know people who smoke cigarettes. I don't, but I know people who do. And so it's, I, I kind of feel like, well, shouldn't we show that on screen for certain people? I don't know, but it is good to not just smoking because it's bad for you. Um, but uh, yeah, she's smoking. She meets with Elizabeth and uh, she says like New York city is in a fairy tale. And she says, Cupid has flown the co-op and she's just sort of saying like these little Carrie isms, you know, that we all know and love. Um, but it hasn't quite found its groove yet. Um, but then uh, immediately I, I think most of us thought Elizabeth was going to be in the show more because she sits with Carrie and I don't know if she's ever in the show again. We'll see. I I might continue watching, but this Elizabeth who we open with, uh, who meets with Carrie is never to be seen again. And most of these men who we cut to aren't either. There was like all of these men who are talking to camera in their confessionals, one of them named Peter Mason. And it's, uh, it says on his lower thirds, toxic bachelor. Now the lower thirds, they were being cute by writing Toxic Bachelor, although I'm a housewife watcher, as you guys are probably too, and on New York Housewife, they've really perfected the art of the humor in the lower thirds title. So when they put a little title on the screen, Roni knows how to do it. Those Bravo producers, they know what they're doing, and they can put something so whip-smart funny, and I love them. Um, but yeah, they did it on Sex and the City. It was just uh, not quite as good. Uh, but some man named Peter Mason were introduced to, were introduced to somebody named Capote Duncan, who's also a toxic bachelor. And by the way, he was the coach in the third Mighty Ducks movie. 
So there you go. They're both at the gym. We meet these two at the gym and this Capote guy, it was like, he's all sweaty and he's in a tank top. And I'm thinking, are we supposed to find him super hot? Cause again, not, uh, but we meet these two men and they're talking about women and dating. And then it cuts to Miranda queen icon legend, Miranda Hobbs, who I believe to be the most relatable in the series, right? Like we all say we're Miranda. I'm, I'm a little bit more of a Charlotte, I think when it comes to sex and, and dating, but uh, Miranda is at a salad bar. And by the way, in this pandemic that we're currently in, it was weird to see anyone at a salad bar because I don't think those are going to exist anymore. I think that was a product of its time. And I can't imagine after the pandemic ends, if it ever ends, knock on wood, uh, that we're going to be going to salad bars. And quite frankly, I am upset about that. I love a salad bar, but I now I see it on there. I saw Miranda at the salad bar and I thought, how fucking gross. <laughs> it's disgusting. At one time in college, um, there was this bar on, or not a bar, there was a restaurant on campus. It was a Chinese food restaurant and it was $3.75 every Thursday. And you would get one of those like big styrofoam to go containers that had the four, uh, little, um, four little pockets for different things. You would be able to go on Thursday and for $3.75, you can get, um, one entree in each of those pockets. So it was really good. And we would always go and it was sort of set up like a salad bar, although they did have someone that would scoop. But as you would order, you'd be like right in front of it. So somebody else was scooping, but you'd be like in the line going with him, if that makes sense. Anyway, uh, there was at least three different times that I remember Either myself or other people would find like a quarter in their meal. <laughs> I don't mean, I mean like literally a quarter. Like they would, because college students would go with like quarters to spend three seventy five on their entree and I, the quarters would fall out. The quarters would fall out and they'd just bounce into the food. Like what's that game quarters that you play at the bar? I feel like college students were just, would go there drunk with quarters and then bounce it into the entrees and the people wouldn't clean them out of it. And so you'd get back to the dorm room with your big old styrofoam thing of entrees and there'd just be a quarter. And I remember it happening at least three times with me and my friends and we still went, we still didn't miss a week. Just, it was like every week occurrence. And it was like, well, there was a quarter in my orange chicken, but you know what? Let's go again. And (laughs) I guess that's a college thing. Um, but seeing Salad Bar, I couldn't help but think of that. And I don't think they're going to last. I don't think it's going to last. Then uh, after Miranda, we meet Charlotte York, another Queen Icon legend, uh, who says um, that women should just keep their mouths shut and play by the rules. So Charlotte is very conservative. She adheres to those societal norms of men and women in relationships. And uh, it's, again, there's going to be things when we revisit the show that are problematic. Just is what it is. Uh, but then we meet uh, Ugly Skipper. Skipper is his name. And he um, is a website designer. He's a nerd. When we meet him, he's at the computer. He's got Mad Magazine on the screen. And we meet him. And then we start to cut in between all of these men. So we cut in between these people doing confessionals and giving their advice on men and women. One of the guys says, what men or what women really want is Alec Baldwin. And then the other guy says, like, women never want to date a short guy or a fat 
guy. And he says, why don't women just marry a fat guy, a tub of lard? And he's like going on this whole diatribe about, you know, how women need to date a fat guy. Um, as if they don't, I was like, every woman I know, it's always the woman looks so much better looking than the man in straight relationships. Like almost 99% of the time, like how many of you guys out there know a couple, a straight couple where the woman is uglier than the man and never happens. So then to see on the show, the guy saying, well, women need to go after that guy. I'm like, that's all women do, sir. And you need to cool it because it happens all the time. And quite frankly, I'm sick of it. For once, I just want to see a, a gorgeous model of a man, you know, with, with a woman, because it's always the flip-flop opposite. And I have so many girlfriends who they'll say, they're like, I want a man that's not that attractive. They want someone who's like not put together or who, who won't take longer to get ready than them. Um, which I always found to be a weird thing. In gay relationships, I feel like it's the opposite. It's always like every guy just wants the hottest guy they can find. But, you know, that's a difference. That's the difference. By the way, I just want to apologize if I'm like generalizing. I feel like talking about all the differences between sexes can can sometimes be problematic. And I'm speaking from the heart. But, you know, I apologize if I'm saying anything offensive. I hope I'm not. Um, then we cut to uh, the core four. So we got Samantha Jones, Queen Icon Legend. She is introduced for the first time when the women are all at dinner. All four of them are leads. And Samantha, it's revealed she just wants to fuck people without feelings. And it was interesting the scene was at a dinner place because I'm so used to seeing them seeing, uh, seeing them at the breakfast table because that's where we usually see them eating. But they were at a, a dinner restaurant, which I was a little confused because it was Miranda's birthday. And these three or four drag queens come out with a cake and it's lit. And then the women have the cake. But I was looking in the background and aside from these four drag queens, it looked like there was just a bunch of straight couples at this restaurant. And I was thinking in what, uh, what place are these women at where it's just drag queen servers and then, but it's a straight restaurant. And honestly, that's the New York I'd want to live in. It's a beautiful thing. It was a great to see, uh, but the women all talk about dating. Miranda says she dated a poet once and he was just the worst. Um, but it's interesting watching this because there's not a lot of action. People don't do a whole lot. And in terms of writing scripted stuff, somebody would usually tell you they, you need more to happen. And in this pilot, it's very talky which I love. And I think that's what we love about the show is just these women observing culture, but uh, it wouldn't fly a lot. I mean, I think a producer or a director would look at a script like this and say, it's too talky. You need to have them doing something like they're always eating and talking. Uh, but again, that's what we like about it. So these women, they all talk about men and women. Then we cut to Carrie who's at home and she's writing because again, she's a writer. She writes for this column, sex in the city, and for this particular episode, she was she is writing a column about women acting like men in the relationship. Women acting like men in the relationship. Now, when she's at home and she's writing, she's sitting at her bed with a laptop. So first of all, she's got two computers. She's got the big old PC desktop that looked like it weighed about 100 pounds. And then she's also got the big-ass laptop on her bed. The big, chunky laptop. We sure have come a long way, haven't we? Uh, ladies and gentlemen. But... I think at one point, did she have that Apple Mac? I always wanted that, you guys. Uh, more than anything, I wanted 
those see-through colored, uh, like the green or the teal and the pink one, those Macs, they had a desktop version, they had a laptop version. And my family, we would never get such a thing, but I wanted one so bad when I was a teenager. And I think Carrie, maybe I'm making that up. I thought she had the laptop one at some point. Uh, but I wanted that. So I still want it so bad. I, I kid you not recently. I was looking on eBay at those computers. I was like, should I just buy one? Cause they're cheap. Like I want one, but I don't, what am I going to do with some 1998 uh, desktop computer? I'm not sure, but it might happen one day. Give me enough to drink. Uh, I'm not drinking right now because I'm on these uh, antibiotics, but as soon as I'm off and I'm back on the sauce, I might be ordering one of those apples. Uh, Danny wants one. Anyway, She's sitting at bed and she's writing and she not only has that big chunky laptop, but there's ice cream that she's eating and there's Chinese takeout around the bed too. As if Carrie eats all of this stuff. Like in what world is Carrie Bradshaw, who's skinny as a needle, as they would say, and she's just downing ice cream straight from the pint. And then right next to her are all these empty Chinese food containers. And look, no one eats like that. It was, it's like such a weird, whoever set designed that, which speaking of like kind of the other people involved, like set design, uh, it was interesting. This first episode in these first few episodes, probably the first season, fashion wasn't as big of a thing. And one of the things I think we all love about Sex and the City is the fashions and every scene seeing something different. And Carrie had so many bizarre fashions throughout the ages. Uh, but in the first episode, there's really nothing extraordinary about any of the fashions. And that would be something that would come later. And by the time the movies came out, I remember like reading blogs, which it was just every outfit Carrie wore in the first movie. And people were analyzing the trailer for the first and the second movie and, and picking apart what they were wearing. And I, I think part of the fun of those movies and one of the reasons why Sex and the City 2 is still okay to watch sometimes is because you're analyzing the fashions and every time somebody's on screen, you're like, holy shit, look at that. Holy shit, look at that. And that's so much fun. And that's missing in TV too. I feel like where on television, every scene do we get the main characters in something beautiful and weird. There was just an article I read about the Clueless movie. It was the 25th anniversary. And they broke down every fashion look in that movie. And that was another thing. And, and devil wears Prada is something like that too, where every scene you're looking at something uh, in terms of the character's costumes. And I know that was such a, I think sex in the city really started that because things, uh, entertainment that wasn't happening. And then by the end of the series, it was every scene and the movies were just uh, flawless fashions. The costume designer, Patricia Fields, she's, a genius. And I don't know if she won awards, but she deserved everyone. Deserved everyone. So then we cut to a scene of Stanford and Carrie. So Stanford is, of course, Carrie's number one gay. And he's a talent. He owns a talent agent company, but he's only got one client, an underwear, uh, underwear model that he's dating. Uh, and I don't remember Stanford being in the early seasons either, but, you know, he's been around. He's been around. And I always thought Stanford played it a little too gay because he's a straight man in real life. And I always just thought he played too much of the stereotypical gay. This was 1998. So, of course, every gay character on TV was doing like the stereotype of it. But it still happens to this day. And that's why gay people should be the only ones to play gay characters because they 
bring just a different a different thing to the role. And so if it's possible to get a gay actor, I do think it's really important uh, because they won't play a stereotype of gay. They know that there's so many different shades of a gay man. Anyway, uh, or a gay woman, a lesbian or bisexual, you know, you got to bring experience to the role. And if you can, I know that's not always possible, but if, if they can anyway, uh, while Carrie and Stanford are having their dinner or drinks, Carrie sees someone named Kurt Harrington, who Carrie reveals is a mistake she made at 26, 29, and 31. And he's sitting at the bar and he's smoking a cigarette. And Stanford's like, you cannot go talk to him. Do not go talk to him. So, of course, we know that she's going to go talk to him. So, Carrie saunters on up to the bar. And she says hello. And she takes his cigarette. And she takes a hit off his cigarette. She takes a puff. A puff of his cigarette in the middle of a restaurant. I don't even remember when did that stop? When did smoking in restaurants stop? Of I do think that was probably one of the greatest things to happen to our country when they finally stopped allowing smoking in restaurants. But when I was a kid, I remember they would have like a smoking section and then a non. Remember you'd go to a restaurant and they'd be like, "Do you want smoking or non?" And I was like, "What a weird <laughs> what a weird weird world we lived in." Uh but here's Kurt just sitting at the bar smoking a cig and Carrie just grabs it and takes a puff. I mean, it was so confident. It was so aggressive. And she didn't give a fuck. She's like, I'm going to have some of that. And then this Kurt smiles and he's just got really bad teeth. And I was like, that's why we don't smoke anymore, ladies and gentlemen, because he just had uh, severely yellow teeth. They were just yellow. And if you watch old things from the 90s or 80s, you will see most people had yellow teeth on screen. Teeth whitener was not a big deal. Uh, But this Kurt had very aggressive stains on his teeth and it was likely due to the cig that he was smoking at the restaurant um but look carrie's attracted to this kurt she wants to hook up with him we immediately cut to her at kurt's place they're in bed together signaling they just had sex now carrie uh played by sarah jessica parker sjp she had i believe a no nudity clause in her contract so the other women they do get naked for screen uh, but Carrie never did. So you can always see her in bed and she's covered up. Uh, you know, her boobies, her bubbies are covered. But uh, he went down on her and she wouldn't blow him. So after he gets uh, done with her, he says, now it's my turn. And she's like, no, thanks. <laughs> and then she leaves and we cut to Carrie on the street. And her voiceover, she's saying, I just had sex like a man. I feel like I own the city. I'm alive. She's like literally feeling so good. And then she trips and falls and her purse goes flying everywhere. Everything goes in the street, her condoms. She's got condoms in her purse and they all go her lipstick. And guess who she runs into big. That's their meet cute. That's the first time they met. And again, this is where I noticed his highlights. He had seemingly brown, light brown hair highlights. And he sees the condoms. They have a little moment, but they don't exchange numbers. None of that. They just have a moment. And she walks away, but we know that she's going to run into him again. And it's so weird to know that Big sticks around. And I actually never thought that she should end up with Big. Spoiler alert. That's my, that's my feeling, my opinion. I don't think they're good together. By that second movie, remember their whole fight was that he wanted to watch TV at night. Like they just, they didn't click. And I always thought he treated her like shit. We know she cheated on him. There was just so many problems with those two. And Aiden was so nice to her. And I don't think she should have ended up with Aiden either because I think Carrie was an asshole. But 
Aiden was maybe too good for her. Uh, but I still think that there should have been someone else. Like there should have been a middle ground between big and Aiden because big, I didn't like the way he treated her. And I don't know. They had chemistry with each other. I'll give them that. Uh, then we cut to Carrie and Skipper, which is a weird scene. Who's the fuck Skipper? Like get the fucking Skipper off my screen. They really tried to make Skipper happen and Skipper was not going to happen. He's the nerdy guy he had curly hair with glasses and he, Worked for Mad Magazine, and I wasn't interested in looking at this skipper. And again, nowadays, if somebody was casting this show, there's no way they'd cast these men this ugly. I'm sorry somebody had to say it. Someone like uh, the actor who played Skipper, I'm sure he's a great man. But uh, he's not any sort of romantic male lead, and some of the men they cast in this show, I feel like they would have had someone who was maybe... Better looking. Is that narcissistic of me to say, or what's the right word I'm looking for? Or, um, I don't know. I just feel like there should have been better looking men. The hottest man you had in this first episode is big with the highlights. And he was like a hundred years older than the rest of the cast. Uh, I'm sorry. Somebody had to say it. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Uh, anyway, Skipper reveals to Carrie that he hadn't fucked anyone in a year. So Carrie's like, I'm going to set you up with my friend Miranda. And so right when she says that, she leaves Skipper and her voiceover, Carrie says, Miranda's going to hate Skipper. She decided all men were assholes. And I thought, you know what? Miranda's the smartest one in this show. She's the smartest one here. She said, Miranda decided everyone was an asshole. Every man. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Uh, Then we see Charlotte. Charlotte's got a date with that guy, Capote. And uh, a lot of talking to the camera here. And so I couldn't even focus on what they were saying because I was just looking at Carrie talk directly to camera. Weird. Uh, We cut to Club Chaos. So the whole cast is pretty much meeting here. Charlotte's going to go on her date with Capote, but the rest of the cast is going to be at Chaos. Miranda's being set up with Skipper, so she's at the bar with Skipper. Uh, And this bar is such a weird place. Like There was a cocktail waitress who was literally selling cigarettes. A lot of cigarette work happening in this first episode. A lot of cigarette work. Uh, but there was a cocktail waitress selling them, and she was literally wearing a lampshade. She was wearing lampshade. And that was the first indication to me that Patricia Fields maybe didn't work on the pilot. And maybe she didn't work on this first episode because I literally saw someone wearing a lampshade. And I don't believe that at Club Chaos, the waiters and waitresses wore lampshades on their head. It wasn't a hat. I'm not being metaphorical. It was a literal lampshade on her head. And, uh, you know... It was a choice. It was a choice. They needed Patricia Field to come in and just spice things up because people were wearing lampshades, and that's not okay. Uh, But it's very crowded. It's a bar, which made me feel a little anxious because we're in pandemic times, and it was such a crowded night out, and I'm longing for a night out like that. I was not a bar person before, but I God, I miss just going to a bar around a bunch of sweaty people and having a vodka soda. What I want to give. What I want to give. Hopefully one day some point. Anyway, Miranda, she's sitting at the bar talking to Skip, and she says to him, it's like a model bomb exploded here. She says, is there a woman here besides me who weighs more than 100 pounds? Now, let's break this down for a second. Miranda's a beautiful gal, and she's literally talking to this man and acting like she's a big tub of lard, and that's offensive to me. (laughs) That's offensive just acting like, oh, everyone here's a model, and it's like, first of all, Miranda, you're a beautiful gal. And you're not like some chubby or overweight person. 
which there'd be nothing wrong if you were, but I hate when those lines of dialogues come in where it's like, Oh, I can't believe I'm the only one here who's uh, over a hundred pounds. Like everyone here is so much skinnier than me. And it's like, Miranda, you're so skinny. Like you don't have, there's no uh, way that I'm here to believe that you're some tabelard. Um, But she's supposed to be like the sarcastic one and the fun friend. And it's like, they should have just changed that line of dialogue. I just, you know, if I could go back, if I could turn back time, if I could turn back time, time. Sorry. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, but she was very aggressive with Skipper. She was. And I just watched a movie called The Out of Towners. I don't know if you remember this. It was from 1999. Steve Martin, Goldie Lawn, Goldie, Goldie Hawn, QIL. And the two of them are like these Ohio parents who are empty nesters now. And so they go to New York to try to get Steve Martin a job. And then they run into a bunch of hijinks. Hijinks ensue. And Miranda, uh, she, not Miranda, but the actress who played Miranda. Why am I blanking right now? You know who she is. I love her. She ran for mayor or something. Um, But that's neither here nor there. The point is, people, (laughs) these two Midwestern parents, they accidentally end up in a sex, um, uh, what are you, like a sex meeting, sex anonymous meeting at a church um, and they run in and they see donuts there. So, of course, they want the donut because they're hungry. They've had a crazy day. Sit down. And Miranda is one of the sex addicts at this meeting. And she tells Steve Martin's character, she's like, let's go fuck. Like, she just literally says that. <laughs> and then Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn are, like, freaked out by these sex addicts. And they run out. And then throughout the whole movie, they referenced how they were like, we were just at a sex meeting. And it's, like, <laughs> the craziest thing. Um, anyway, it was so weird to see Miranda because I was thinking, what what year was this? That was in 1999, and Sex in the City, the pilot, was 98. So she was already on Sex in the City when she took that role, and it's just like a weird cameo. Anyway, I don't know why I told you all that, but that movie is on uh, Prime. If you want to watch it. It's it's bad. The Outer Towners is like a bad movie, but uh, but also good at the same time. It's five stars, but also just one star. You guys know what that means. Um, it's also a remake of a old old movie, The Outer Towners. But anyway, then we see Carrie who runs into Kurt at Chaos Club Chaos, and Kurt just grabs her and kisses her. And then it's revealed that he was happy about how they had the sex. He was like, "Yeah, it was good for me. I'm glad we can just hook up and not think about it." And Carrie's like surprised. She's like, "Well, wait a minute. I thought you'd be upset because I'm treating sex like a man." And then he just walks away happy, Carrie's all confused, and then he goes and kisses this uh, other woman who he's there with. And I was thinking, well, why did he just grab Carrie and kiss her if he's uh, with this other woman? Even if she's just someone he met, she would have saw him just grab Carrie and kiss her. Inappropriate. Anyway, then um, let's see. Oh, Samantha. Samantha sees Big at Club Chaos. And Samantha grabs Carrie and she says, see that guy? And brace yourselves for this. If you're driving, pull over, because this is uh, tough for me to even say. Everyone, are you sitting down? This is tough to hear. But Samantha sees Big across the bar, and she says, See that guy, Carrie? She says, He's the next Donald Trump. Except he's younger and much better looking. Now, here are a couple things about this sentence. First of all, I gotta say, I hate that he pops up into so much of our entertainment and our pop culture. I just want to sit back, relax on a Sunday, and watch Sex and the City, the pilot. And now I got to think about uh, the president who's, you know, terrorizing this episode of Sex in the City. 
I'm not interested in hearing about him or seeing about him. It already sucks every holiday season when I put on a Home Alone 2 and I got to see him. I don't want to, I want to check out. I don't want to think about the news and everything that's going on. I want to watch Home Alone 2. I want to watch Macaulay Culkin get lost and hang out with a, a woman who's covered in bird shit. That's what I want to do. But instead, I got to watch that cameo he makes in Home Alone 2. P.S. That woman, what was that about? That woman in Home Alone 2, what the fuck was that? She just covered in bird shit all day. There's no way anyone could be around her for more than five minutes without having to walk away from the pungent smell of bird pigeon shit. It's just a fact. Macaulay Culkin was best friends with her, and she seemed like a wonderful woman. She seemed so nice. But she was covered in bird shit all the time. There's no world. How did she wash those jackets? She was wearing 100 jackets. I know she lived in the park, and people who live in the park can't be expected to be fully clean. But I just think that somebody who wasn't living in a home and lived in a park they maybe wouldn't be so friendly with pigeons, right? Because then you're just getting extra bird shit. And it's hard to come back from that. You know, I support the homeless community and I want everyone who's homeless to get, get work and get, uh, get a house and get their lives together. Of course, there's so many different reasons, unfortunately, oftentimes out of people's control as to why they're homeless. But watching it, it gives me a little anxiety because I think it's going to be even tougher for that woman. She's covered in pigeon shit going to be tough for her to turn that life around because no one's going to want to be around her because she's going to smell like bird poop. And so, look, it's hard to watch. I know, at least she becomes friendly with with Macaulay Culkin. But uh, by the way, he's not a good friend either because even at the end of the movie, the family comes home. Macaulay Culkin's in this big-ass suite, enough to house the whole extended family. Hotel suite. They give him the whole big-ass big room. The parents... Catherine O'Hara and John Hurd, who plays parents, they get their own room at the suite. So there's plenty of place, uh, plenty of places here for different people to sleep. Macaulay does A, not invite the pigeon woman into sleep at that room. And B, he even leaves the hotel room on Christmas morning. And he goes to bring her an ornament. He doesn't say, like, come up for dinner. He just goes and gives her an ornament, a pigeon ornament. And she's freezing cold. Christmas Day, covered in bird shit, and even her best friend, Macaulay Culkin, will not even give her, uh, invite her up for a meal on Christmas Day. That's no friend. So anyway, my heart goes out to her. I hope she, I don't know, turned her life around on some level. There, quite frankly, should have been a Home Alone 3 about her. Where's her story? Everyone has a story. What's her story? I need more. I need more. They're rebooting that, too. There's going to be like a new Home Alone on Disney Plus, either this year or next year. Anyway, let's see. Then uh, we see Charlotte, who's on her date with Capote at the opera. He invites her back to her, his apartment. He's rich as fuck. He wants to show her this painting. Charlotte's, of course, an art person. And he's a real asshole, but he does have a nice apartment. And I thought back, and I did date a guy in Chicago once because he had a nice apartment. Not a lick of a personality. But we went out for a couple months just because he had his own apartment, and I was living with five other guys. And so I needed to get away, and so it was nice to stay with this man who had a gorgeous apartment. We've all been there. I'm telling my truth. That's my truth. Uh, Anyway, they uh, seemingly have a great date. Charlotte leaves, though, without having sex with him, and she thinks she's handling it perfectly. But as he's saying goodbye and letting her helping her in the cab, he's like, wait a minute, let me get in the cab. He's like, I want to go to Club Chaos. And so he flat out just tells Charlotte, like, look, I need to fuck someone tonight. That's what he says. Excuse my language. 
Capote just says, right after their date, I'm horny and I need to go to Club Chaos to have sex with someone. So then, immediately we cut back to Chaos. Samantha's trying to still sleep with Big. He's not interested. They're having cigars together. She's simulating sex on a, simulating a blowjob on a cigar uh, to Big. And he's like, no thanks. Samantha says to him, I do PR for this club and I have a key for the downstairs room. Do you want to go? And he just says, no thanks. She's devastated. Samantha's very sad in this pilot. I got to say, she's bumming me out because she's hitting on this guy and he's not interested. I think Big would have hooked up with her in real life. I do. She's gorgeous. Talk about stunning. Talk about stunning. Uh, But uh, Skip and Miranda, they're finishing up their date. Miranda's not interested in Skipper because he's too nice. And as they're saying goodnight, he pulls Miranda in and kisses her. And then she's into it. She just wanted a little bit of a bad guy, right? She wanted, we all can feel that way, right? A little bit of the bad boy. And Skipper showed just enough, pulled her in. Uh, it was cute. It was a cute moment, even though I don't really care for this Skipper. It was a cute moment. Um, then we cut to immediately Samantha fucking Capote, uh, the guy that some, uh, Charlotte went on a date with. She's fucking him on the same night that Charlotte went on a date with him. Now, that wouldn't have happened later on in the series because Charlotte would have been mad at Samantha for doing that. And I don't recall what happens here, so I'm going to have to watch episode two. Um, but Samantha, it was sad to me. It was sad that she was hooking up with Capote. I don't know. She even gave this look as he was like going down on her where it didn't seem like satisfaction. It seemed sort of like, wow, my life is sad. Does that make sense? And I don't think her life is sad at all. So it was, it was tough to see. And Samantha, I got to say... She's one of the greatest characters of our time. And I mean, Kim Cattrall in that role. Perfect, 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 perfect. I don't know. Did she win Emmys? I hope she won a bunch of Emmys because she deserved it. Then we see Carrie, who's leaving chaos alone, trying to get a taxi. She can't. Big drives up in a car. He's in a town car, a little small town car, which later in the series, he's always in the big ass limo. Um, But in the first episode, he's just in a little car. And the guy, the driver beeps, he rolls down the window, which we've seen him do a million times. I didn't realize he did it in the pilot, but he rolls down that window and he says, get in for Christ's sakes. So then she gets into this little car and he's asks her, he says, what do you do? And she says, I'm a sexual anthropologist. And Big says, like a hooker? She's like, no, I write a column. And this is their cute little repartee. And then... They end the conversation as they're getting to Carrie's apartment. And Big says, uh, you've never been in love. As she's getting out of this car, he says, have you ever been in love? And she goes, no. And she has this moment of realization of like, holy fuck, what's going on? I want to die. Like you could see it in her face. Sarah Jessica Parker's face. She was saying, I want to die. Because this man she's sort of interested asks if she's been in love. And she was embarrassed. Embarrassed. She was shook. She was shook by this question. So she starts walking away and her face is shook. Then she stops and she says, wait, says to Big's car. And she says to him, have you ever been in love? He says, absolutely. And what the fuck was that? I didn't even, I get like what they were trying to tell us. What an asshole I thought of Big to just throw that in her face like that. Like absolutely. Then I was thinking about that line. I was thinking, were they trying to add that line in like, as if he's saying he fell in love with her at first sight. But that was such a reach because it didn't seem like they connected that much. But he said, absolutely, to make her feel even worse. So then she stares at the camera, confused, just like we are. 
and it freeze frames on her confused face. And that's the end of the episode. That was how they ended. I thought it was such a strange ending for this episode. <laughs> Absolutely. Throws her off base and then she's confused. Although I guess it works because uh, a lot of the point of the series is that men and women are confused about the other species or not species, but the other sex. Sometimes it feels like men are another species, doesn't it, ladies? Ladies, am I right? <laughs> anyway, that's the episode. Uh, we need to do a little cool down, even though it's a, a bonus episode, because I think we all need it. We all need it after that episode, that wild episode. Uh, everyone take a deep breath in. Hold it. Breathe out. Let's take another deep breath in. And hold it. And breathe out. Let's take another deep breath in. Just think of a which Sex in the City character you're more like. And breathe out. Everyone kind of identifies as a Carrie, a Charlotte, a Samantha, Miranda. Just go forth and think about that today. And enjoy. I love you all. Bye-bye. I love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 